Our heart as a church is to know Jesus. That's what our focus is. That's where our faith lies. That's our foundation. That's our cornerstone. That's our keystone. It's all to do with the sacrifice of Jesus for us and the love that God has for us. We want people to know how much God loves them because it forms the foundation of your faith. It's not principles that form the foundation of your faith. It's not, it's, it's not um, you know, a program. It's not a religious set of rules. It's not a bunch of things to do. It's the love that God has for you that forms the very foundation of our faith and, uh, and, and how that was expressed through Jesus. And so um, we, wanted, we wanted people just to simply know who Jesus is. And John, as um, a disciple, loved Jesus. He was close to Jesus. He walked to Jesus. And he wanted to tell people who Jesus really is and, and who Jesus was and what he experienced in Jesus' presence. And he was so overwhelmed by the love of God that, as we looked at last week, he actually referred to himself as, as the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Like third person all the way. I'm just going to refer to myself. That's who I am. I am the one whom Jesus loves. And, uh, and so he writes this, this incredible account, this declaration of truth as to who Jesus is and the love that we can find in him. And so today we're going to go to John chapter number 21. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to open them up um, to the very last chapter in the book of John, John chapter number 21. And I'm just going to read the first uh, six verses um, and then uh, share a message with you entitled, To Walk After Jesus to walk off to Jesus. John 21 and verse 1. And we're talking about Jesus revealing himself, us knowing his heart. It says in John 21 verse 1, it says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. It's incredible that, that Jesus actually wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to reveal his heart to us. Uh, some of us feel like God is hiding from us or that God is, is, is hidden away somewhere or that He doesn't want us to truly know Him, but the heart of God is to reveal Himself to you. He wants to reveal who He truly is, what His real heart towards you is, as opposed to uh, concepts and ideas that we may have about Him that we go into a relationship with. He wants to reveal the, the, the true heart of God to us. That's what Jesus came to do. So Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and the two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. <laughs> I can just imagine that no. Hey guys, do you have any fish? No. We've been fishing all night. We've been out here trying just a flat, like, no, we don't have fish. Um, he said to them, cast the net out on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. 
I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, uh, and then we're going to look at this final chapter in the book of John and how it reveals Jesus to us. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much uh, this morning that we can right now just, just come as a family, just come as your children, Lord, with nothing standing between us and you. There's nothing that keeps us from receiving from your Spirit right now. There's nothing that, that keeps us from enjoying your presence right now. There's nothing that keeps us from hearing your Word, Lord. We thank you that uh, wherever our hearts still remain hard, Father, that you, would, that you would soften them, Lord God, and that you would speak directly to the core of, of our being, the core of our, of, of our spirits this morning, Lord. Father, we haven't come here just to hear human words and human reasonings. We've come here to hear from you and your words. So we just pray this morning that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, and that you would reveal Jesus to us in a greater way that we, than what we've known him before. We want to be intimately acquainted with the wonders of his person. And we thank you for this time this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So um, I, I'm pretty sure we're all like this. I might be slightly worse than you at this specifically, but I am pretty horrible at waiting for stuff, okay? Um, is there anybody else who can just identify with me this morning, right? I'm just horrible at waiting. When I have an idea, my mom used to say this to me when I was a kid. She used to say, Adrian, when you get an idea in your head, you just cannot let it go, right? You just, you just have to have it. And I, would, I have at times done the craziest things because I felt like I just, I can't wait for this. I just, I have to do this. And um, it's led to so many interesting situations and me spending so much of my time on stuff when once it's done, I'm like, okay, wait, that actually wasn't as important as I thought it was. Um, But I just, when I decide that I need something or when I feel that I need something, I really struggle to wait for it. And so I, I was thinking I could have I could have mentioned a couple of, of uh, examples this morning, but I thought of one that happened to me recently um, when I was um, I was I was flying back into New York because my sister lives there, and uh, and I landed in New York, and the idea was because the from um, the airport to get to where she stays in Brooklyn can be a little bit of a maze, and you have to take a couple of shuttles and transfers, and you get on the subway, and then you have to change at one a specific station, and uh, so I need her to meet me. At the uh, at the airport, uh, sorry, at the uh, yeah the airport station, um, and take me from there uh, to where she stays. And so, I arrive at the station. I get to where the subway is, and my sister's supposed to be there. And so I sit down and I wait for her. Now I've got my big my luggage. I've got my bag, and I'm waiting. And this is the part that I'm not good at at all. And my sister just she doesn't she does, doesn't show up. I don't know. So, and I also can't communicate with her because there's no Wi-Fi there, and I, you know, I didn't have my roaming on or anything. So I'm literally just waiting and waiting and waiting for my sister. I'm sitting there. People are looking at me. They're like, they were actually, I remember there were two policemen there, and I was like, I, I started to fear that they might think that I was a terrorist or something because I'm just like nervously sitting by my bag, you know, and, and then every now and again, I walk up to see if I can see my, uh, my sister, and then I'm like, are they thinking that there's a bomb in there and that I'm like walking away from it? I'm going to run in any, at any moment. So I'm like ready because I just heard all kinds of stuff about the police that was going on there. I was like, am I going to get tasered, shot, like killed, um, waiting for my sister? And so I just, I can't wait and I can't get hold of her. And so this is so typically how I am. I decide I'm going to do something about this. So I get up and I go to this big map that they have and it's so confusing. And I'm trying to figure out where I'm supposed to make the connections and where I'm supposed to change stations and directions and, and all of the rest. And at one point, I'm like, I'm confident that I have this down. I'm, I'm confident that I know where I've got to go. 
And so I walk, and the first thing that happens is you've got an option. You can go to Rockaway, uh, towards Rockaway Beach, or you can go towards Manhattan. And I'm like, I know it's not in Manhattan, so I'm going to pick Rockaway. And I'm actually like at the door, confident now, and a guy stops me. He's like, are you sure that's the way that you want to go? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, Rockaway. I've got it. I've got it. And he looks at me like, okay. Um, And so I get onto the train, and about like 30 minutes later, I realize that I'm heading in completely the wrong direction. Like, I am going towards the end of New York. Uh, It's kind of like right to the area that nobody really goes unless you live there. Um, And so I I now find out that I need to get off of that train, switch trains, go back to where I came from, and I still can't get hold of my sister. Now, I don't know if she arrived in the meantime, what had happened. So as I'm walking, as I'm getting onto this train, um, this guy that, he just looks real smart, you know, like he came dressed to the nines today, and I, and I thought he looked like a pretty good guy, so as we get onto the train, I had a strategy, and the first part of the strategy was to say, hey, hey man, how's it going? So we greet, now we're friends, right, because we said hello. <laughs> so then I sit next to him as well, that's step two of the strategy, um, and, then, and then I said to him, hey man, like, you know, I've, I'm, I'm a little bit lost, my sister is supposed to fetch me, she's somewhere here in New York, and uh, is there any way that I could just maybe jump on your, you know, your personal hotspot quickly and just uh, kind of use some of your data? And he was like, yeah, yeah, man, go ahead, go ahead. So my strategy worked, and I was able to, to contact my sister. She had been waiting at, the, uh, at that station then for 30 minutes. So I basically got on the train as she got off the train, and, uh, and I missed her. And that, that's the kind of stuff that happens when we're, when we're not willing to, to just wait and just to trust and, um, and, it, and it feels like that in our own lives so many times that we have kind of like arrangements with God sometimes where we say, hey, I, like, I'm going to go there. I'm going to meet you there. You, you, I mean, you're meeting me there, right? I mean, this thing is happening um, and we're going to see each other and then, you know, you're going to lead me the rest of the way. Is, is that how it's going to happen? And God's like, that's exactly what's going to happen. And so you go there and then he's not there always or we feel like he's not there. And we get kind of pushed into this this difficult decision, like, can we wait when we don't specifically know what God is telling us to do? Can we, can we trust that He is going to be faithful um, to lead us the way that He, he promised uh, to lead us? Can you, can you believe in God's commitment towards you and faithfulness towards you even when you don't know what He is asking you to do next? And I've been in that situation in my life so many times where I've needed the guidance of God and, and I've been praying for it, asking for advice. I've, I've just wanted to hear His voice and, and sometimes I feel like I don't know where He is or I felt that way many times in my life. I don't like that uncertainty. Like I want Jesus to spell this thing out for me, right? How many of us just want, Jesus, just tell me exactly what you want me to do. Don't make it all cryptic and mysterious and whatever. Just let me know, and I'll just do my best to go and do that. And it just seems that so many times God doesn't do it that way because He's doing something more, more than what we know, more than just telling us what the next step is. You see, what God really wants is not robots who know how to take steps, but people who know how to trust Him people who know how to believe in His goodness, people who know that He is faithful and that He is true. So in that time of uncertainty, the question is, do you trust the Word that God gave you? Do you trust what He has spoken to your heart about your life, the promises that He has declared over your life? And theologically, we'll all say, yes, like I believe it. But when 
you are desperate for God to do something in your life, and you feel like He isn't, man, it, it's so easy for us just to get, feel that anxiety of, okay, God, what is happening here? I'm, I've been sitting at this train station. I've been, I've been where you said you were going to be here. Where are you? And, and it's so tempting for us to just jump up and to make our own way, to figure it out by ourselves. When we read the story about, about Peter and the rest of the disciples in Galilee, we often think that um, they had given up, all right? We think that they, uh, and I have actually read the story and thought about it in this way so many times, where it sounds like um, Peter had disappointed Jesus, um, he was upset with himself, and so he basically said to himself, okay, that's it, I'm done with this ministry thing, I'm done with the Jesus thing, I'm going back to my old life, and I'm leaving, and that he actually went back to Galilee um, out of rebellion. We often think that it's because of disillusionment and, and, and rebellion that, that they ended up in Galilee, but biblically uh, and truthfully, that's not the case. That's not why they were in Galilee. The first thing that I wanted to let you know is that the Bible tells us in the previous chapter, Jesus already appeared to His disciples twice. So they know that He's alive. They know that He is back. They know that He is around. And, and He may not have had a conversation with Peter yet by this point, but they know that Jesus is alive. So that's the first thing. And secondly, Jesus told them to go to Galilee. They were doing what Jesus told them to do. He said, I'm going to meet you there in Galilee. So if you, if you look at Mark 14, for example, Mark 14, 28 says, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus is like, that's the meeting point. I'll meet you at the station right there by the subway. Just meet me there. Just wait for me there. Mark 16, verse 7, he reiterates this and he says, after he was raised from the dead, and he says, but go tell his, tell his disciples, sorry, this is what the, uh, what the angel said to, to Mary as she arrived at the tomb, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, there you will see him just as he told you. So they're not there out of rebellion, they're there because they have an appointment with Jesus. Jesus told them to go there. And so I can imagine these disciples just being so excited because Jesus said he was going to be in Galilee, and all of them are just running to Galilee. I don't know exactly how far it was from where they were at. Maybe they walked at some point and rested also and then ran again. But I, I can imagine them just arriving in Galilee and being like, okay, where is he? Where is Jesus? He said he was going to be here. Like, uh, in, in my mind, I would have been imagining up all kinds of ways that Jesus would be, like he's standing on a rock, or he's like praying, or he's like healing an injured animal, or he's doing something like out there, and we arrive. Or maybe there's this massive crowd, and the preaching has already begun, and the ministry is happening, and, and, and Jesus is just like blowing the place up. And, and I, would have, I would have wanted to be a part of that thing. I would have, would have wanted to be there to see it all. So I'm like running to Galilee. Oh, Jesus, wait for me. You know, don't start your ministry without me, and, and, and getting there, and it's like, okay, there is no Jesus around here. Like, I'm waiting, and so now they're sitting around, and they're going, Jesus, you told us to be here, and now where are you, right? I had a moment like that when, when we didn't have a venue that one week for our church. It's like, okay, Jesus, I did what you told me to do, now I'm in the park with no venue. The, the day in the park was fun, but inside I was crying, all right? Where are you, Jesus? What are you doing? You said you were going to be here. You said we were going to do this thing together. So they're sitting there, and Peter must have started thinking to himself, you know, the last thing that I did was deny Jesus. The last thing, the last conversation I had about him, the last thing that I did was, 
was to deny Him. And I'm pretty sure that in that moment, Peter started getting a little bit insecure about his own faith. Like, why is Jesus not showing up? You know what? It might be because of the fact that I denied Him three times, which in, in, in Hebrew culture was an absolute denial. And, and, and it's the same for our lives. Like we say, hey, God told me, we feel like God said, do this. We feel like God said, go there. We feel like God said, this is the thing I want you to do. And then we get there and then it doesn't feel like Jesus is around. And we immediately think about our own selves. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that other pastor on TV was right. And if I wanted God to move, I needed to like fast 48 hours straight. And I needed to like use the little anointing oil. And I needed to like do all of this stuff. Maybe I should have, maybe I should have done it all. And then Jesus would have shown up right now. And so we become uh, introspective often in those moments, and we start to think that the reason why Jesus isn't showing up is because of our failure. And it, and, and, and it really drives us, it can drive us to despair. What's amazing, though, and, and I'm just going to go back there. Can we, just, can we just put Mark 16, 7 up again, just real quick? Because look at what Jesus, what the angel says to Mary as an instruction from Jesus after he was raised from the dead. He says, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Like he throws an and Peter in there. <laughs> like Jesus is like, I already knew that you were going to fail me. He told him that he was going to deny him before he denied him. And he said, and I'm going to pray for you that your faith wouldn't fail you, that your belief and your trust in my goodness and commitment towards you won't fail you. And when you are restored, that you will then also strengthen your brothers. And so uh, Peter may have been doubting that whole word because now he's sitting in Galilee and Jesus doesn't show up. But the angel said, go and tell the disciples and Peter. He calls him by name. He knows that Peter may have these doubts. He knows that he might feel like he's failed. And Jesus, might, Jesus knows that some of us might feel that way. So many times in my life, I felt like I had disqualified myself from receiving the blessings of God in my life or the, or the purpose of God in my life because of what I had done. But Jesus goes, no, go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Adrian. Go tell the disciples and insert your name here. You're included in this. I've got an appointment with you. I've got a calling on your life. I've got, I've got a purpose for you. So just in case Peter felt disqualified, he gets included in the angel's command to Mary. The resurrected Jesus wants to see you. The resurrected Jesus still wants to meet with you. So the disciples are doing the very thing that Jesus told them to do, um, but Jesus um, seems to be taking his sweet time uh, in getting to Galilee, and, uh, and so they're just waiting on Jesus. And what I realized is that waiting, I used to think that waiting on Jesus was a matter of patience. It's actually not a matter of patience, it's a matter of faith. Do you believe that the God who said that he would meet you there would actually meet you there. I didn't have faith in my, in my sister that morning because I know my sister. She acts on Broadway. She's an actress. She's keeping time, and that, although she's not too bad, but it's like in that moment, I was like, oh, maybe she's completely forgotten I'm even coming to New York because that's the kind of thing that could happen when you're an actress, right? Like, just like, maybe. I'm like offending a whole bunch of people right now. I'm just kidding. Actresses are awesome. Um, 
but my sister specifically, that was the thought I had, right? She can be like, just like, she can daydream at times, and, and she can just be like, she's got a lot going on, and so I'm like, maybe she's just totally forgotten me. And, I ha- and, and, and so it wasn't actually a matter of patience. The reason why I got up is because I didn't trust that she was coming. I didn't believe that she was coming. And so I got onto the train thinking that I could get myself into a better position where I could get like a Wi-Fi signal somewhere and, 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 and contact her. I got onto that train to be able to figure out whether or not she was really coming. And, 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 and when it comes to Jesus, waiting on Him is really a matter of, of faith. And so while we, while we wait for our answers, while God delays, the Bible says by faith and patience, talking about but that, that ability to, to wait and have patience because of faith, we inherit the promises. What is the thing that you're asking God for that you feel that He may have forgotten you? Don't lose heart in this season. Don't lose your hope in how committed He is to bringing every single thing that He has for your life to pass. And so Peter's waiting there, and he's like me waiting on the subway, and so he's just like, I'm, I've had enough of this waiting thing. I'm going to do what I'm good at and what I think I can do to figure this out. And he goes, I'm going fishing. And the other guys are sitting there, and uh, they're like, hey, Peter, we're coming with you. We're, we're coming fishing as well. We're also tired of waiting. And they all get onto the boat, and, uh, and they go out. They push out to sea, and they start fishing. Now, um, I've tried this twice with my dad where we spent a night on the boat trying to catch fish and haven't caught a single thing. It is probably the most demoralizing thing you could possibly do because at like 4 a.m. in the morning, you start questioning the meaning of life and uh, why you, you would even go out on a boat through the night and, um, and all of those kinds of things. And so they're out there the entire night and nothing is working for them. They're not catching a single fish. And this is essentially what our actions lead to when we don't live by faith. We may accomplish some things, like they got the boat out onto the sea, and they got the the net cast a couple of times, and they were able to to do a few things and get a few things right through through their actions, but it had no life in it. It didn't have the ability to, prov- to provide or to bring the provision that they wanted, the result that they wanted. In the same way, when, when we, uh, instead of waiting on God, try and make uh, our own way or depend on our own strength to make a way, it just ends up in futility. It just ends up not producing the results that we wanted. It's, it's the result of, of human effort. It, it doesn't achieve anything life-giving. When we serve ourselves and when we operate in our own strength, it, it, it's all futile. It's, it doesn't lead to the thing that we are hoping for. And so just like Jesus did the first time, the fishermen were out there. They were trying to catch stuff and, and catch fish. And, and Jesus shows up on the beach, and, and he does it again this time. He tells them, cast your nets on the right side of the boat. And there's such a significant uh, symbol or picture here in Scripture about the right-hand side, because we know that the right-hand side represents all authority. It represents the authority of a king. It represents um, your, your strength, your, your power, your, your ability. And in Hebrews 10 verse 12, it says, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. 
when Jesus had done all of the work, one single offering, he, he paid the complete price. When the work was completely done and finished, he sat down at the right-hand side. These disciples are saying, we, we're going to go, Jesus is not showing up, we're going to make something happen here, and they go out and they, they fish all night and nothing happens, and Jesus shows up and he says, try casting on the right-hand side. Try scooping from the finished work of Jesus. Try, try taking your provision from everything that He has secured for us on the cross. Try depending and relying on His grace in those seasons. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, their nets were so full, they couldn't even pull it into the boat. They were, they were worried that their nets wouldn't be able to contain the abundant provision that came in a moment. And this is just such a clear picture, that we trust God and rest in His finished work, in what He did for us on the cross in those, in those moments. The truth is, is that we don't need to strive for provision. We don't need to earn a breakthrough. We don't need to, to rely on our own strength, because Jesus is in complete control, even when we're not exactly sure where He is. He's in control. He's in control of your life. He sees your situation and He's going to bring the provision, not by you making a way for yourself, but by His grace, by the finished work of Christ. He arrives, and in one moment, they receive the provision that they couldn't get from a whole night's work in their own strength. That's what it's like. You can work for things, and work for things, and work for things, and work for things, and, and not be able to lay a hold of them, and then one moment Jesus shows up in your life, and, and, he goes, and there it is. The abundance is already there. The provision is already there. The moment we just trust in Him according to His timing. He's revealing Himself to you in this way. He's revealing Himself to you. There's some things that some of us have, have, have been holding out for and believing for and hoping for and working for, saying, if, if that can just happen in my life. And I want to encourage you to, to just put your faith in Jesus and His finished work. You'll catch more fish in one single casting of your net than you could have in a, in a whole night of fishing. So John, John tells us that this is how Jesus reveals Himself. And I believe that sometimes God allows us to try all of our own methods first. Like He will, he will even allow us, the Holy Spirit will even allow us to continue failing. One failure after the next, after the next, after the next, until we realize that we cannot do it by ourselves. That we cannot gain the victory in our own strength. And it's that moment where we give up, and as a Christian, giving up is one of the best things that you can do. Because what you're saying is, no longer in my strength, Jesus. I can't do this for myself. I need you. That's a moment, believe it or not, of faith. It's dependence upon Jesus. It's resting in His finished work. It's grabbing a hold of, of what He has for us. As opposed to experiencing the futility of our own ability. God wants to bring us to that understanding that He had that he shared in a couple of chapters earlier in John 15, where he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus isn't here, let's go fishing, we catch nothing. Jesus shows up, we catch a lot. <laughs> He's like, I'm revealing myself again, just in case you forgot, that apart from me and my presence in your life, you can do nothing. And that's the faith that we need to walk after Jesus. 
That's the faith that we need to follow after Jesus. It's to believe that He is genuinely present, that He is faithful, that He always shows up, that He always is in control, and that He is always at work in our hearts, even when it doesn't make sense. I've got to tell you, I spent years turning my faith into a mathematical equation and into a logical process that I could work. I wanted principles that I could work. I wanted mathematical equations where I could always know what the answer would be. I wanted this thing to be foolproof. Why? Because trusting God blindly was scary. And so we so often take our faith and we, we turn it into the systematic way of doing things. Uh, give me a principle, let me pray that principle, like a formula that you do to get the result. And God's going, I'm not into your formulas. I'm not into your religious steps. I want you to know the heart that I have for you. I want you to know that I love you and I care for you and I'm committed to you and you're my child and I'm your father. And even when it doesn't make sense to you, I know what I'm doing. I can only imagine if, if, if my son had to take the relationship that he had with me and break it down to like a formula or logical steps. And he was like, like, the result is, I want a sweet. So, you know, the formula is, go to dad, that's step one. Step two is, cry. Uh, step three, if that doesn't work, is beg, you know. And like, and if he does the right set of things, then he'll get the sweet, where it's just like, it's just, it's, it's just devoid of a genuine relationship. I would hope that my son knew that because of the love that I have for him, even if his even if his request isn't perfect, even if his delivery isn't amazing, even if, if how he approaches things isn't always right, that because of my love for him, I will do what I have determined to do in his life. And honestly, that's how legalism comes about. Legalism comes about when we don't stomach or we don't have the stomach for or the will for true intimacy. So we boil it down. I was, I was watching a kettle boil the other day, and I thought about this. It's like how all of, if you've ever, I've worked for church for, for over 10 years, so I've seen more than one urn forgotten on, and, um, and all of the water like boiled out of it, you know, just like evaporated. And then what you have left, if you, do, if you have a church left, depending, depending on whether or not it burnt down, um, like what you have left in the bottom is the sediment. Have you ever seen that sediment in the bottom of a kettle? That's legalism. When, when the substance, when the water, when the life-giving stuff is, is out of it, all you have left is sediment. And when we take our relationship with, uh, with God, instead of just wildly just trusting Him, just blindly throwing ourselves into His arm, just with reckless abandon, going, God, I don't understand how it's all going to work. I can't figure this whole path out, but I'm just going to close my eyes and I'm going to jump. I'm going to just trust you. When we don't have that, What's left is this legalistic, principled set of rules to follow. It's not the kind of relationship God wants with us. He wants us to realize that He's with us. And in this moment, John realizes it's Jesus. Nobody else could say, hey, just cast your net on the other side, and all of a sudden, you know, all the fish is there. And, and so, this mo for me, one of the most beautiful pictures in all of the Bible happens right here. Because John says, it is the Lord, it's Jesus. They realize he's present, he's there. And Peter had been working all night and he had taken his, uh, his outer layer of clothing off and he puts it back on. He cannot even wait for the boat to get to shore. He realizes in that moment how faithful Jesus is, that he arrived just like he said he would. And so he dives. 
just dives straight into the water. Swims all the way to shore, just wants to get to Jesus. Can you imagine what was happening in his heart in that moment? It's Jesus. He's here. That's how how our hearts are stirred when we realize how true Jesus is to his word and, and, and how faithful he is to do in our lives what he said he would do. So John 21 verse 9 says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal, a charcoal fire in place. And this is just one of the coolest things about Jesus. He loves to bry. Like he is, like it's not even he made a little wood fire. He made a charcoal fire. He went to like pick and pay and he got charcoal and blitz and he made a fire on the beach. Jesus is so cool. And, um, he makes this little beach bry. It says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. <laughs> come and have breakfast. You see, the heart of God is yes, to provide for your life. But more than that, what he wants is fellowship with you. And so the provision was just another way of increasing the relationship and building the faith and that we have in him. It all leads back to our relationship with God. And so he says, bring the fish that you have caught. And even though there were so many fish, the net didn't tear. You see, if they had caught that amount of fish in their own strength, their own uh, nets and their own abilities would have been insufficient to carry them through. But when you do things under grace, when you do things with the ability of God, there's a grace on every part of that process. And it leads to greater intimacy between you and Jesus. Jesus is like, hey, come and have breakfast. Come and, come and sit down. And, and, uh, and, 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 and so he begins to, to, to eat with his disciples, have fellowship with his disciples, and then he gets to Peter, because he does want to talk to Peter. He does want to address what happened with Peter. He does want to help Peter. But isn't it amazing that before God corrects certain things in our lives, the first thing that he wants to do is meet with you. The first thing he wants to do is have breakfast with you and have fellowship with you. So yes, God will speak into our lives. He will correct things. He will address things. He will, uh, at times, even discipline, which, which discipline um, has, is such, has such a negative ring to it for us, but in the Hebrew context, it means to lift up off of the ground uh, or, and to bring close. It's the same way that you would take a broken arm and bind it up and tie it close to the body so that it can be healed. That's what discipline looks like, and the Bible says that God only disciplines those in whom He delights. And I think so much time in, in, in the church, we talk about the discipline as opposed to the delight. God delights in you, and so yes, at times, He will fix things and correct things and work in, in your life. But like He does with Peter, the first thing He says is, just come and have breakfast. Just come and hang out. And so at bre- after breakfast, Jesus looks at Peter, and uh, he already knew that Peter was going to fail. He already prayed for him. And so now three times... The same amount of times that Peter denied Jesus, he asks him the question, he says this, Peter, do you love me? And three times, Peter essentially replies, yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he asks it three times. What's really interesting, though, is that in English, we have one word for love. In the Greek, there are four different words, 
And the word that Jesus kept using was, Peter, do you agape me? In other words, do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me with a God kind of love? And Peter replies, yes, Lord, I phileo you. Which means, yeah, I like you, Jesus. You're, you're good. And, you know, I was really complex about why would he not just say, I agape you. You're sitting in front of Jesus. He just made you breakfast and a little fire. And he's so cool. Why would you not just say, I love you? I mean, if somebody bakes a bribe for me, whoever bribes for me, I'm like, I love you. You know, like agape, all the way, all the way agape, you know? But in this moment, Peter just goes, I follow you. Why? Because there was another time when Peter said, Jesus, I will stand with you. And even if I have to die with you, I will die with you. I'll give my life. No one's going to take you. He had so much confidence in his own love for Jesus. And then he failed just like Jesus knew he would. And so now he realizes that what's really important is not how much he loves Jesus, but the fact that Jesus loves him. So there's almost a humility here where Peter goes, yeah, I, I don't know if my love for Jesus is always perfect. I don't know if I love you unconditionally and perfectly, Jesus, but I do love you. You see, our relationship with God is not based on how well we love him, but on how well he loves us. And so he goes, Peter, do you love me perfectly? God, I, I mean, I don't know how perfect it is, but I love you. And so he says, so do what I've called you to do. So go and, and feed my sheep. Go and feed my lambs. Don't, don't hold back. If you are confident in the love that I have for you, then you can go and do everything that I've called you to do. And I love the fact that Peter in spite of all of his failures and in spite of the fact that he didn't say, I agape you to Jesus, still gets to walk in the fullness of God's plan for his life. He still gets to go and do every single thing that God had ordained for, you, for him. He still gets to go and, and, and pastor the church and care for the flock and, and to be a shepherd to them and to do everything that Jesus said to him he would do from the beginning. Essentially, Jesus says this, if you love me, if you know the love that I have for you, then follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is just a repeat of another encounter they've had before. Follow me. Walk after me. Do the things I've called you to do. The truth this morning is that Jesus doesn't only save us from our sin, but he saves us to a specific calling. You're not just saved so that you can be forgiven of the stuff that you've done wrong in your life. You're saved because God has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for your life. And if our confidence is in the love that, that he has for us, then we don't need to hold back. Then we can faithfully and, and wholeheartedly pursue the reason for which Christ pursued us. We don't need to hesitate. And we had this sense this morning, and I almost took a moment just to pray for us, but we had the sense this morning that, that even in this group right here, that there are some of you that would that would love to receive the forgiveness of God, that would love to receive the love of God, that would love to start walking in your destiny that God has for you, but you actually feel as if you can't even forgive yourself. So you don't, you don't know whether God can forgive you because you, you, you feel like it's impossible to even forgive yourself. The things that has happened in your life, the, the mistakes that you have made. The Bible says that if we're confident in the love that God has for us, then we don't need to hold back. Then we can just run after Jesus with, with all of our hearts. We can just follow him because we trust him. And so 
Peter has gone from, Peter's on a roller coaster today, right? It's just a crazy day for him. Um, he is he's in Galilee waiting for Jesus. He, he, he semi-gives up. He's like, I don't know if he's going to show up. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go fishing. He goes fishing. Um, then Jesus shows up. He dives into the water. He has a breakfast. Then he gets asked three times if he loves Jesus. He gets restored. Jesus says, now come follow me. And the next thing Jesus says is, and you will die. <laughs> just says that. And it's not going to end well for you. John 21, 18. I mean, just Peter must be like, what was all this breakfast about then? The whole John 21, 18 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to them, Follow me. Man, this, this story takes a turn. I mean, this is, I thought it was just all nice from here on out. Peter was crucified like Jesus, but rather than being crucified upright the way that Jesus was, he said he wasn't worthy of being crucified the way that Jesus was, so he was crucified historically, it tells us, upside down. That's how he was stretched out dressed and taken to places he didn't want to go. So Jesus says, just so that you know, you're going to die a death in this way, but follow me. See, I think the only reason why Jesus could say this to Peter in this moment is because Peter had just gotten a revelation and an understanding of how faithful Jesus is which means that no matter how difficult the situation seems, no matter how tough it seems, no matter what may be laying ahead for us, even if it may be really difficult to deal with, we know that Jesus is enough. Some of us live in so much fear for our future. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if that happens? The truth is, whatever happens, Jesus is enough. I remember when my wife and I found out we were pregnant with, with uh, twin baby boys that we had prayed for for so long and uh, was a complete restoration, and I haven't really ever had uh, any of my tweets go viral or anything like that, but this was my one viral tweet that I ever had, okay? Got retweeted like 400 and something times, and as a result of this tweet, I got like a bunch of people replying to me that I didn't know, you know? I didn't think a whole bunch of people were going to be engaging with me on it, and all I said was, in the tweet, it said, in 2009, my baby, uh, my wife and I lost a baby and then a set of twins, and in 2011, my son was born, and now we're pregnant with twins. God is a redeemer. It's 140 characters. You can check it later. Um, you know, God is a restorer. And that's all I said. And it just got, it got retweeted and retweeted and retweeted. So I had people replying to me. And the one guy replied, what if the twins die? Maybe you should wait before you tell the whole world. And so I was like, that's nice. Um, Twitter, brutal. Um, my response, and this was genuine from my heart, whatever happens, Jesus is enough. Whatever happens, Jesus is enough. He told me before he would be there, he showed up. He told me before to cast my net on the right-hand side, he provided. He has shown up, he's provided, he's proven his love to me again and again and again and again. So why would I then, regardless of what trouble may lie ahead in my future, doubt the fact that he will show up another time? that he is present in those moments. So he goes, cool, we've had breakfast. You love me. I've given you your calling. Just so you know, 
You're also going to die, so follow me. So follow me. It'll cost you everything. And then right at the end of John, and I don't even know, like that would have been such a great space to just like end the book right there. Like, John, just end it. That's a great ending. Just stop it there. But he just has to throw this in there. Um, and, uh, and it's so amazing. So uh, in John 21, verse 21, it says, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And he's talking about John, the one who sat close to Jesus. And so he identifies that this is him that he's talking about. And so Peter says, but Jesus, what about him? What about this man? This is what he's saying. So I'm going to die, but what about John? <laughs> like, is John dying? What's happening to him? Because he's had a pretty good ride so far, you know? He's just been hanging out, sitting next to you at the table, calls himself the apostle whom Jesus loves. Like, where's, like what's happening to him? Tell him his future. <laughs> Peter, obviously not 100% happy with what he just heard. And Jesus says this, he says, If it is my will that he remain until I come, for him to stay alive until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. If it's my will that he remains until I come, if he doesn't have to die, what is that to you? You follow me. How often do we compare our journey with the journey of other Christians and ask the question like, God, why do I have to go through this? Why is this my experience? Why, you know, everybody else just seems to be enjoying Sundays, clapping hands, you know, singing praises. Everybody else, you know, gets in their cars and drives off and, and I'm sitting with this and I'm dealing with this. Why do I have to face these things when those people didn't have to face it? And Jesus just simply says to Peter, hey, what is that to you? What does it matter how God chooses to work in other people's lives? Every one of our journeys is individual and unique and tailor-made for who we are as people for God to produce in us the kind of character and the kind of hope that He has ordained to put on the inside of us. So rather than looking around and going, why do I have to go through a difficult time when others don't have to? Look inward and see what Jesus is doing in your life. And you'll realize that God is blessing you in a greater measure than what you can understand. So he says, don't, don't worry about what's happening in the lives of others. You just follow me. I'm going to come back to this again. Following Jesus. Waiting on Jesus. Walking after Jesus is not a matter of, of patience. It's not a matter of will. It's not a matter of commitment. It's a matter of faith. Do you trust where he is leading you? Do you trust in his goodness, the goodness that he has for you? It all comes down to believing that Jesus is faithful and loving and gracious and true. And he has gone to lengths to reveal this to us. Even through this entire book of John, it's just been one revelation of the next, of the faithfulness of Jesus. And so church, let's walk after him. Let's follow him. Let's set our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on him, the author and the finisher of our faith, regardless of what's happening around us, regardless of what's happening in the lives of others, let's just trust in His goodness. Even if you're in a season of waiting right now, 
God is working in you. Don't be tempted to go into your own strength and your own flesh. Rest in his provision and his finished work because Jesus is faithful. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's go ahead and pray together.